Welcome to the Trailbreaker Podcast. I'm Aaron Feinberg. In this podcast, I explore what it takes to be a trailbreaker through intimate conversations with people carving new paths across the landscapes of business, art, and sport, we dig in on how to excel across seemingly disparate endeavors. What drives people who manage to succeed multidimensionally? Is it how they think? Is it meticulous planning and follow-through? Or is it some measure of delusional optimism? My guest today is Michael Gaines, an executive coach, leadership trainer, and consultant based in San Francisco, California. We talked about why believing in people matters, the value of mentorship, and why the straight talk express is critical for growth. Michael, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. You are the very first guest that has joined me in the office for the show. So thank you for coming up from the city and joining me in Mill Valley. It's great to be here. Do I get a special prize for that? Let it be kind of, is that unique maybe? You're going to get the very first Trailbreaker coffee mug sent over to your house. Look forward in the mail. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you. (laughs) So look, I'm excited for us to chat because our relationship has been one of strategic business partners. It has been friends and probably most importantly to me has been a mentorship relationship where you've given me such amazing support, guidance, advice, et cetera, over the ages. So I want to kick us off today and talking about this topic of, of mentorship. It's something that I haven't gotten too much into in previous episodes. And I figured this would be something, you know, we could really talk for a bit about. So I'd you game to, for that? Yeah, I'd love to talk about that. Fantastic. So I think, you know, as a, on the receiving end of a mentorship relationship, it often feel, felt like to me, you know, I was on the on the Christmas or Hanukkah side of things where I was getting all these gifts thrown at me. And, you know, I didn't talk for sure about what some of those things were, but from your perspective as a mentor, whether it was mentoring me or any of the other folks you have or are continuing to mentor, what's it like for you to be sitting in the mentor position when you're, when you're helping somebody? Well, I'll tell you first, it's um, the relationship with you was part of a journey of giving back uh, because it had been, done for me. So I knew what it was like to receive. And, you know, that story you and I've talked a little bit about, you know, was really kind of fundamental in tapping into the notion of mentoring. Because I realized talking to other people in our field or clients, it's it's unique. There's not a lot of people, uh, there's not the majority that says, I have an active mentor mentoring relationship. Uh, And so it started with me uh, in, you know, the mid 90s. And uh, I was living in Atlanta and uh, I wanted to uh, be successful in what I was doing, but I I was struggling and I had switched careers. And so uh, for me, that experience of meeting somebody, I'll tell that story a little bit more, but I'll answer your question, um, was what set the tone for this. And so what it's been like for me is to be fully present on someone else's agenda. Uh, Also though, to balance some advice versus just asking questions. Uh, And so that was the important balance to strike. And I had to do it with somebody I felt was open and you were. And I think a lot of times people question, well, how do I start a mentoring? How do I find a mentor? And I think think it's really grounded in intention. And I think you had the intention of getting some guidance. 
and then through another friend, we were brought together. It just kind of happened. That's how it happens in the universe, right? So that, I think for me, the experience has been so rewarding. You've given me back as much, if not more than I've given you. And I think that's consistent. If you ask many mentors, it's flattering uh, to be asked and to be drawn out of stuff maybe you take for granted that other people don't do, but you're able to light them up in a way and pass it on. You know, that, that organic nature of how our relationship came to pass. I'm going to, I'm going to tell my side of the story yeah. in a second, because it is exactly that. And, and one of the reasons I wanted to have this discussion with you is, is to maybe give some advice or some input to people listening on how they don't have to, they can be more purposeful about seeking mm -hmm. it out. Right. And, and as you mentioned, we have a joint friend, Chris Carrig, who, who linked us together. And I don't know if his original intention was as a mentor mentee relationship, my thought was he just thought, all right, these two guys are in the same field. I like both these guys. They should know each other. Mm. So I remember coming over, you know, to your house just to meet you and mentorship had never even crossed my mind. Right. And, uh, it was through that first, I don't know, hour and a half or even two hour conversation we had where we talked about all sorts of things. And, and I remember leaving and driving away and thinking, Oh, Hmm, like this guy, this guy would be a great mentor. I wonder if he'd be up for it. And I can't remember if I picked up the phone and called you or you called me for some other reason, but pretty quickly, I think even later that day, we had another conversation where it came up and I think you brought it up. Is this, you, this sounds vaguely familiar. Okay. Yes. Cause I think you got to but it before I was about to ask. And, you know, and I, I remember thinking, damn, that is so organic and, so fascinating how you know you can sit in a room with somebody and be you know we probably both experience how you can jive with someone and yeah. the energy is is good but you know how like the thing just kept unfolding for me of like oh here's all the different things i want to be able to ask this guy and for you to say you can ask me any of these things and and that's okay or here's all the things you're not asking that you should be asking right and here's a structure of you know you can call me at this juncture and you should call me in a few months from now when you're up against this thing. And, and it was sort of like providing all of this insight or foresight into what I didn't see about myself that you had already been there, done that, and were clear enough and kind enough to be willing to, to throw that to me. And, and I thought that was awesome because I had, I you know, had some measure of success in coaching and training up to that point, but had never found either somebody or a group of somebody's who is willing to unpack it that way. And again, I didn't kind of need that much, you know, detail. It was more of this holistic understanding of how does this coaching process fit into these companies and all that. And I'm just curious. Well, and you were transitioning too. I mean, you were coming out of doing, you know, clinical psych type counseling work. School psychology. Yeah. So school, school psychology. psychology yep. rather. And, you know, that, that, uh, you know, was a different world altogether with some connective tissue, but the business model is totally different. You're employed by a school district. Now, you know, you're doing your own thing. So for anyone, that's like a, a morass to step into and not know. So you had a, I think a need to yeah, answer those questions. Totally. And it's interesting because I think when I connected with you, I was at least four years into the transition and, and not to say yeah. that, that what you just said wasn't right. It still was. I was transitioning um, from having been working in some of these bigger companies like Google and Yahoo, et cetera, having been brokered out by a couple of firms mm -hmm. that, that do that kind of work and put coaches and trainers in places. And so I had a lot of success, but what I wasn't so clear on was some of the things that 
those type of broken companies didn't necessarily have um, a need to to share with me the insight, mm-hmm. right, or to to figure out how I could de- get to the next level of the of my career that I wanted to. And 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 when we were talking, you know, whether it was proposals or SOWs or the way that um, the timing of different conversations or documents or whatever, like that kind of stuff was just the nuts and bolts that I just needed to understand how to put it all together. And that was super, super valuable. By the way, for those who don't, statement of work is SOW. Uh, now I've realized not everyone knows what that means. I'm very sensitive about acronyms. But um, yeah, I think that was, there. the need was there. And you had done a lot of training too and coaching then really wanted to step more in as, you know, as much into coaching and balance those out, which was, I thought the timing was just perfect. I think your story is emblematic of, of what usually can happen and be the case for people that land in a mentoring kind of relationship. My story, so I'll tell you mine, because I think you know, kindred spirits in a way, is uh, I had left the television world doing production um, operations, and I was in Atlanta, had left Turner, and then uh, went to work for Outward Bound and was actually in a position of having to sell the executive retreat programs, then go off on retreat with them and kind of do some shadow instructing. Uh, And a guy called me out of the blue and said he was, and mind you, this is 1995. So the idea of executive coaches was, that was not in the lexicon of business totally yet. And he called and said he was a coach and he had this team he was working with. And he was thinking of taking them on a like a multi-day outward bound course to really gel them together. And I started talking about what we did. He says, well, I want to meet you. And he was from Savannah. So he had a very deep Southern accent. And uh, he, we met at a little place in the Virginia Highlands neighborhood of Atlanta. And we're at breakfast. He orders a hot cocoa or something. I'm like, who is this guy coming along like Yoda or something? And, uh, and he listens to me tell my spiel. And he was more direct with me than I think I was with you. And he said, son, you don't know what you're talking about, but one day you're gonna. <laughs> and, and he said, you're going to come to my office and we're going to meet every Wednesday. And we're going to talk about how people work in a work environment and group and team dynamics and how it really goes down. Once you get those people off that mountain back into at the time, the cubicle land. And that started a relationship. I mean, you know, Fred Vetter is in his uh, early eighties now and uh, still, uh, we have this relationship. So that goes back a lot of years. So uh, that's how it happened for me. And so I saw modeling of it to a degree, which mm. I could then I had a playbook somewhat of how you show up uh, in this role. And that made all the difference in the world. Yeah. And on the receiving end, you know, it was one of those things where it was super helpful to hear. I knew that I knew a lot of things from counseling and from, you know, working with some of the most difficult people, uh, you know, the, on the planet, you know, those with diagnoses, right. those with not, uh, and all different styles and helping them to, to do really good work and change within those systems that I was working. And what I didn't have the greatest measure for was how does this stuff apply into the business world in terms of what are the terms that you use? And mm-hmm. I remember us talking and I remember th- saying it was X and then, you know, you said, oh, this is how it's described here. And so light bulbs started clicking for me where I was like, oh, I do know a lot of this stuff. It's just, I don't know the lexicon that's used here. Mm-hmm. Right. Or I'm framing it in a way that's either unclear for myself or unclear for who I'm speaking about. It. And I remember, you know, after we had talked a handful of times, you gave me the great feedback. He's like, look, 
you're going to be really successful at this kind of stuff because you can coach, you can train. But now that we've been talking more, I get that you can sell too, right? It was, you know, Mm -hmm. interesting where, you know, he's like, you said, there's not a lot of us out in the world that can do all three, right? And that's going to be a, 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 and I thought, huh, interesting. Yes, I've always been good at sales, but it isn't because I'm super salesy. It's because I'm really good with people and I really understand people and I care about people. And therefore, you know, connecting with folks that way, it seems to make the. That's right. And that's an important thing because I think a lot of people you talk about sales, especially people that go into our field from an internal learning, development, human resources role, et cetera, think they have to become a used car salesman. And it's not about that. It's, it's totally relationship sales. And some, many, thankfully, get that. But I find a lot don't. Yep. And that it really turns them off or it gives them anxiety. Yep. They're great at, you know, once the work is there or someone tees it up, but they have a tough time kind of getting themselves out there and taking the risk of reaching out to somebody, semi cold or a networking connection or going to an event when we go to events again, things of that nature. But uh, yeah, I think that's, I think that was really an important insight for you. And, you know, I I think all of us have a little bit different um, uh, nugget to find in, in the mentoring allows for that. Uh, I think there needs to be an openness uh, to maybe hear some contrarian views uh, from somebody else. And i tell you one thing that helped us, and I would encourage people to find a way to recreate this in their own way, is we had a reason to meet. So it wasn't just that I wanted to help you. It was um, you had immediate things that were business related that I thought I could help with didn't necessarily mean we worked together right away, but there was a path of that. Um, and you therefore made an investment. And always the toughest thing is with these kind of relationships is does, does it, are you nurturing it? Are you keeping it going? Do you set a time to meet? And you always were doing that because there's an immediate need. And so I think identifying what that immediate need is versus I got this person, they've been there, done that. I'm going to meet with them casually. Like what's the agenda? I mean, a lot of people are doing very formal advisory roles now, especially for startups. It's a very big thing. And they take a stake in the business. That's yep. another way to do it. Like then everyone's vested. You're getting a piece of the action for your time. Well, I better use you up. Yep. Right. So that's a good, another good way to do it. So I think there's a variety of way, but what is the formal or informal contract of the relationship? And I think that's, that's really important. In Fred's case, I needed to get some perspective on the program. I got him on a course. And, and he shadowed and gave feedback on the things we're doing well and things we're not doing well. And my boss loved that because that was extra value that a coach brought that an outward bound instructor things would never see because they're not following them back into the workplace like he was. So that kind of thing, I think recreating that, that's foundational. And I think it makes a big difference. So openness, some measure of structure yeah. or organization, whether informal or, or more purposeful and, and, and yeah, like an out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anything else that you, you know, cause I came into it blind. Right. Yeah. And I remember, uh, you know, saying things like, gosh, I would love to figure out a way to, to, to pay back some of this. Right. You know, and I, I obviously mentorship is something we you know is it's given, it's usually an informal, uh, there's, you know, it's the energy and the, in the relationship and the, in the choice to help each other. But I remember trying to everything from pay you to bring you tequila for Christmas to, <laughs> and, and, and I remember you saying to me, look, like this will all work itself out in, in one yeah. way, shape or form. And, and I thought that was so cool. And what was great is, is it did later on like when I started this conversation with you today about us being strategic partners, 
I mean, that was something that was so awesome to eventually get to a point where, you know, you said, look, I I've got some work. I, yeah. I, I need extra coaches. I need extra folk, you know, let's, you let's know, let's jump on board. And that yeah. was a way for me to help you, uh, and, and pay that back and pay it forward, which is awesome. But, um, when you think about other mentor relationships, so I know you're mentoring folks now, do you more consciously try to structure it or do you always kind of approach it more organically? Like it happened between you and I, I'd let it be or usually organic unless the other person leads out with, they want the structure. I kind of wait for them to bring it. Like, how is this going to go down? And it's kind of a test in my, like I'm giving my time and energy, you know, the, there's, there's, they say there's three ways to give, you know, time, talent, and treasure, you know, so I'm giving my time a little bit of my talent and I want to see how they're going to nurture again, this relationship. So I kind of wait to see what emerges. Um, and some go on for a few months some go on for several years, you know, it just depends on what they lead out with. Mm. And, and I don't see as a failure if one only goes on for three, four months, maybe they got what they needed. Yep you know, and it opened a door for them to get mentoring in another way from someone else. Maybe they had multiple mentors, you know, that's fine. Um, but I usually try to find out like what the need is, like, you know, what is the most important things for us to be talking about? What's the context, you know, same as coaching. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, you're just, you know, shooting the, you know, what with somebody and you really enjoy them, but you also got to give them straight talk at times as well. I remember I had, um, a great boss, which led to my transition at Turner. And I'd moved from New York and uh, to take this job. And he recruited me because we would, uh, uh, I was working for NBC and we would share uh, TV crews and trucks at Madison Square Garden. And so we all, the Turner guys and the NBA and, and NBC people, you know, we do the NBA playoffs and it was you know, to swap between the channels. And so we'd swap crews. And so he said, Michael, I want you to come down to Atlanta and, and you know, work on production team, operations team down here. So I'm a few months into it. And uh, he calls me in his office. He's not my immediate boss. He's my boss's boss. He's vice president of operations. And he reports to the head of, of, of the sports division. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty brash, 20-something-year-old. And he says, uh, he says Michael, uh, do you want my job? And I said, Keith, you have your job. What are you talking about? He said, no, dummy, you're not qualified for my job. I mean, one day, <laughs> would you like to have my job? And I honest, you know, honestly answered him. And I, I, I said, uh, well, I don't know, man, like you're on the road all the time. And, you know, you pretty seem pretty stressed out. No, I don't think so. He said, well, then get out of here. So I just moved here. He's like, no, I don't mean now. I mean, finish the baseball season. But if this job does not light you up, get out of here because this is the career path. This is it. I mean, this was the, you know, softy career talk of television industry. Right. And it, and he said, I'll support you. You stay longer, great, shorter, whatever you want, but you got to find something else because this ain't it. And I can tell you don't like doing satellite telecommunications, uplink documents and union contract negotiations, all that. And that was the best piece of advice I ever got. And it led me and that that's how I did a 180, but it was straight talk, you know, and it was respectful. Yep. And you got to do that as a mentor. Sometimes you got to say, you know, I've said it to you, Aaron, Aaron, that ain't going to work. Uh, and so that's, I think that's looking for a mentor that will kind of cross you up like a good coach will sometimes too. For sure. And, and probably the best example of the straight talk express that you sent my way was, uh, uh, I remember this. Okay. Let's give it to me. Yeah. Yeah. It was when I was finally adjusting my pricing to match at the mm. level in which I was working and you were kind enough to say, you know, you're up here with us, you know, and you're a skill level and you're in your impact and you're 
quality and caliber of clients. Why are you pricing down here? Yeah. And I remember thinking many things and, <laughs> and bantering with you and yeah. arguing with you about it. And, and eventually you said, change your pricing. Here's where it should yeah. be if you want to be where, where you really are. And I took that conversation and went home. A couple weeks and months had passed. I called you multiple times asking more pricing questions. And you came back and said, we've had this conversation. We've had this conversation, Aaron. I gave you my answer. Have you changed your price sheet? <laughs> and I said, no. He goes, you said, why? Yeah. And I came up with all these reasons and excuses. And I loved it. And in a kind, Michael, loving, funny way, you said, look, I don't want to have another conference. Don't call me until you change your pricing. <laughs> and, and, and watch what happens. You said it like yeah. this. You were yeah. joking. But you're like, watch what happens. So yeah. hung up the phone, went back into my one-pager pricing sheet, and updated everything. Yeah. And kind of stressed and anxious thinking, boy, what's about to happen in my business? Is this going to, I'm going to lose everybody. Are people going to be offended? Are people going to, you know, somehow tell me I'm not worth it. And it happened the way you said it was going to happen. Everybody said, yep, that sounds good, Aaron. And not only did that happen, everybody who then came into my world was at yeah. a understanding and respect and, and a value. They understood what coaching and training and the things that I had to offer were worth. Right. And it was just so amazing. In addition to not losing anybody, I gained so many things. And it also helped me restructure the balance between work and being a dad and the rest of the time. Right. And, and so that was good on you, man. I'm so proud of you for doing that too. And I'll tell you, low pricing is a uh, negative anchoring bias. People then link it to lower value and there's a limit to everything. I mean, there's only so much elasticity. I'm not saying everyone just, you know, jack up your rates right. and, you know, but people undervalue themselves. Now I have to give credit where credit is due. David Steele, my buddy, you got me to move out here. And that's a funny story. When he got me to move out here and I found a company to get me out here, consulting company, it was December 97, El Nino year. And it rained for a month straight in January. And I'm like, what in the world have I done moving to Northern California? I was perfectly happy in Atlanta. I was fine there. And I'd lived in Southern California as a kid, but that's very different, very different climate. And he said, just hang in there, man, just hang in there. And sure enough, the spring came Then we started hiking these trails in Marin and mm -hmm. other places. And, you know, I got it, but he's the one that always said, really look closely, be diligent, be, you know, uh, really uh, focused on your pricing. And, and it's spot on. I have a, we have a handyman that we hire, Carlos, this guy's amazing. And uh, he can fix anything. And uh, he, keeps charging for years now, 35 bucks an hour. And I finally, I try to pay him. I give him more every time. And he said, anyway, and I said, I said, Carlos, no, no, your new rate's 40. He said, no, no, no. And I said, Carlos, people don't hire you because you're 35 or 40. They hire you because you're Carlos. And it's who you are, right? That they're buying. And I think that like, what do you, what value are you going to put on that? Do you believe in yourself? And I think that's an important thing. I said, but think about what 10% difference would mean. Extrapolate that. I said this to Carlos, of all the hours you work in, how much more? He said, well, that's a lot of money. I said, yeah, that could go towards your kid's education or wherever you want to put it. Yep. And nobody will blink an eye about it. It's, it doesn't make a difference. Yep. And I think the, the real value in that conversation with you was, was not so much about whether I valued myself or not. It was the understanding about what the rest of the market and the rest of the, the, things that I didn't have great signal on. So I was, I was knew I was doing 
good work. My clients were telling me, but nobody was telling me what it really should be priced at. Yeah. And so you were th- nice enough to do so. And, um, and then push me along. Well, to- and you learn like if someone pushes back and then it also, it's like the people that don't, you know, okay, that's, I'm going to say, thank you. I'm going to get on to the next person that is interested in giving me what I'm worth. Yep. I think it's an important signal. And I think, you know, to your point about, you don't just all of a sudden exponentially yeah. keep raising and you also don't, you know, nobody's entitled to anything you earn it. Right. And I think totally. that, you know, I didn't, I didn't charge what I charged now 10 years ago. It, right. it, I built it up. And, you know, as a, as someone who always wants to over deliver, uh, I would rather spend an extra couple months or year, or however long uh, undercharging for a little bit to establish that really rock solid reputation and skill set. And, you know, as you say, sometimes, you know, you're making sure you're driving with a license yeah. and, um, and well, then, invest in yourself every right. year. That allows you to invest. I mean, we're here your listeners think we're spending a lot of time on pricing, but it's it's a it's a deeper convert it's a deeper topic about value and how you're investing in yourself, yep. right? And what's possible when you appropriately charge what you should be making in whatever your profession is. You, you know, you're the handyman to the coach to the you know uh, you know I'm talking to free agent nation here, right? So there's a lot of people where this is really helpful to be aware of. And and look you know, whether you're a coach listening to this or a trainer or any number of clients that we work with, you know, from, you know, C-suite to junior to engineers, marketing, I mean, I've had this same exact type of conversation on some level with every single client, whether it's, you know, advocating for a promotion, whether it is trying to find a better angle between their work and their life balance. So just that, that self-awareness, that reflectiveness, that consideration of, could I be doing something different? What would even better, or what would, you know, the most ideal situation look like for me? And just starting that conversation with oneself, you know, know where it's going to go. Yeah. I mean, as, uh, as this guy, Fred would often say, what you focus on expands. Mm. So when you focus on this energy of I'm looking for a mentor, I want to put it out there. It, it will happen. I mean, be care- as I always say, at least in a first world economy world, be careful what you ask for, because you just may get it right. Make sure you got the time and the energy and the commitment uh, to bring it. But I think it's, I think it's a critical piece. Which actually brings me to another question is, is do you mentor usually one person at a time or do you have a, a cadre or stable? I people? might do, you know, two to four people mm-hmm. in a, in a year. And then maybe it cycles through um, some though I've, for years. And it's been everything from someone like you to uh, also another coach, to an entrepreneur with a startup, to a, a person running a restaurant chain, to uh you know, those kind of people. Um, and so it's, it's always different. It's always different. And I think once you start a, a message to the mentors, like once you start mentoring, it bleeds into other parts of your life, mm-hmm. maybe in your community, maybe the things you want to get involved in evolves over life. Maybe you've been on the sidelines a little bit on engaging. I mean, for me, I'm really engaged in my local neighborhood. My wife thinks I'm crazy, but uh, it's what I enjoy. And we don't have kids, so I need to spend my time on something. Uh, so for me, it's you know it's bled into other areas of, of picking up and getting getting involved. And I'm not going to give your address out in the world, but nah. you're, you're in the beautiful neighborhood of Lower Hay. Mm-hmm. And so, what is it? Remind me of the of the organization you're you're doing work with. It just rolls right off the tongue, and we probably have to change. It's called Lohamna. I didn't name it. It's a Lower Hate Merchant and Neighbors Association, Merchants and Neighbors Association, it's Lohamna, and it um. 
it's unique in that it's merchants and neighbors. Mm. And the reason I did it is because you and I often are asked for our advice and our counseling, coaching of leaders. And I looked at my own little boutique. And I'm like, am I really leading? Mm. Like, I'm sure I've got subcontractors, but we're a small firm. I'm not really being tested. And boy, have I been tested. Uh, if you, uh, I, I think I got inspired, especially when uh, Barack Obama left office and he said, don't follow social media trolls, pick up a clipboard and get involved in your neighborhood. That's mm. where the real politics is. And it is true, especially in San Francisco. And uh, I learned a lot about what motivates people, what they get angry about, unfortunately, mm. what they love. We're more in the love state now, but in the early days, it was a lot of hot topics in our neighborhood that needed to be navigated. And I learned a lot about my own presence and my own shortcomings. Mm. So that it's been, again, a, a, a teaching experience. So was Lahamna something that you started or was no, you jumped on No, I can't take board? credit. No, it was started 15 years before me mm. uh, by uh, a former supervisor, Valley Brown, and uh, a neighborhood activist who's now running um, for a state uh, political position, Thea Selby. And uh, they did a great job of getting off the ground. And then it kind of languished for a few years because people left the neighborhood. And then a few of us jumped on board and got it really legitimately organized. And that was just really, and it's brought the neighbors together. And I know all my neighbors, uh, which is great. And, uh, and it's just been kind of a unifying effort um, and gotten us some attention and, you know, merchants to come back. And especially during COVID, man, I mean, being able to check on our neighbors. We did delivery programs mm -hmm. for the restaurants so people could save on fees and get food. We had a walk around service checking in on elderly, like, were they okay? I mean, this is, you know, deep COVID when people were pretty sheltered in place, right? Yeah. Um, so we'd done some really cool programs and grants for the merchants from our own dues money, which we never even had dues before hmm. some of us got involved. So, you know, it's offered a lot um, of give back. So the theme, there's a thread you know, of giving back. So. And, and, you know, without going too deep into it, in terms of how it links to this sort of mentor conversation, are you saying that, you know, you were able to pass on some of the expertise and the things that you have, and as well as also learn from these folks too? Totally. Like, I, I think just organizational development in the truest sense of like building an organization, like how do you have proper insurance? How mm -hmm. do you have a proper board positions and seats? And are you basically put together? And there's other people involved who are a lot more savvy and good parliamentary procedure people uh, beyond me, but um, it's been a, it's been a give and a learn uh, for sure. And there was an opening there, right? There was an opening. So again, just my antennae were up. I think that's a important thing to, to reiterate is, is the opening, right? So the intention looking, whether yeah. you're the mentee looking for a mentor, whether you're a mentor kind of just, either you're the way you think about it, starting to talk about it. You know, I feel like the world does conspire to send you what you're looking for and, and what you feed grows. And so, um, you know, I don't know that you have a great answer for this because it sounds like many of the folks that you wind up mentoring come organically or through your network, but are you aware of any other angles in which people can get paired up with someone maybe who's not a connection from, you know, one or two degrees. You know, I don't know any current organizations. I'll tell you a, a, an interesting story though, that might inspire people, especially that want to be mentored is um, when I came to the Valley uh, and, you know, in earnest in 98 and my first client was a semiconductor company and they were having an excess of people. And in the exit interviews, mm -hmm. people were saying, I'm not getting enough in return for what I'm bringing intellectually. Um, I get money. That's fine. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not, I'm not getting good kind of development of myself as a, as a manager, as a leader, as an engineer, whatever. And uh, we built a mentoring program that lasted for 13 years. 
and it's hypersemic conductor and uh, which is no longer it's expansion now and um that uh program we based on a program called mentium which was a mentoring program primarily for women uh, based out of minnesota and um just kind of how to set it up and what we were surprised by when it came to do nominations and people would put their names forward or others would put their names forward we had plenty of mentors hmm. that was not the issue there were a lot of people that connected with the same reasons i did of like oh you want me to ask you some advice and guidance i can help somebody fantastic the problem was mentees and the problem was what we realized after talking to some of them who were hedging was they didn't want to be seen as a person to waste a mentor's time or to ask a stupid question. Mm. And it really, you know, really hit home. And so then we did a bunch of orientation sessions of what mentoring is and what it isn't had a panel of mentors to explain it. And then they saw the openness and the ready, then it was okay. Then we, then we could deal with it. But that's, I think how some people view mentoring, like who am I? You know, like, I don't want to waste somebody's time, right? Mm -hmm. I tell you, uh, there's plenty of people that want their time wasted, right? If you will. (laughs) Yeah. And it's so interesting because even as a little kid, you know, I've always, you ask my parents and we would be sitting in the car on long trips and I would, I'd be this nonstop question machine from the back seat, everything from like, why does that plant look like Mm -hmm. that? Or why is that sign say that? Or where are we going? To the point where my dad was just you know, my mom, God bless her soul, answered every darn question. Mm-hmm. And my dad just <laughs> punted, I think, to her. But I've always been, you know, someone who the curiosity outweighs the anxiety of, of feeling stupid. And, and I don't mind falling in, on my face in front of anybody. And it's interesting that you say it like that, because one of the reasons our relationship works so well is is I felt like you were open to whatever question I would throw at you. And, and, and you were, I feel like clear that, you know, come prepared and be organized yeah. and, and without actually having to say it, it was the energy you gave back, which was, you know, you don't have to do it the Michael way, but yeah. just like, here's how I can best help you. And I do feel like other folks who maybe don't have that, that mentoring button either turned on um, don't create the space for that to, for people to kind of show up where, where they're at. You can always, as a mentor, guide them or help sure. them, but right. You got to create that caliber and quality of a connection where somebody can feel safe to go there. Right. And again, I, not that I'm anything special, but I, you know, I, I, I'm just uh, brazen in my willingness well, to, to jump in. If, right? I w- if I may, you were interested. And this is something my father's always said. My, my, my mother raised me this way. Both my parents did. Um, and only recently did my dad kind of, codify it in a statement that really stuck with me. He says, be interesting, but be interested. Hmm. And I find there's a lot of interesting people I meet who are not interested in other people. Yep. And they're a bit narcissistic. Hmm. And, um, and it shows up in the form that's talking about themselves. And they're not curious. It's kind of fixed mindset stuff from our growth fixed mindset stuff that we, we often train and talk about. But, um, and I was saying this to some friends that we were visiting recently. And she said, oh, yeah, yeah, I raised my kids, uh, three, uh, a son and two daughters. And I uh, said, uh, three questions. The kids always had, when they met adults or people and they came up, they had asked them three questions. Hmm. And I said, I love that. I think that's spot on. I'm going to steal and, that. Right? As a dad, right? With a right. five-year-old. So I think that is a critical skill that unfortunately not many people possess. And if you're going to be a good mentee, you've got to be, of course, interesting to the mentor, but be interested. And I think you have that balance. And I think that's a really important characteristic of mentors too. So the idea that, you know, you are probably going to be on the 
delivery side of advice and 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 expertise and and wisdom, but you got to have that curiosity about the other person and that willing. Like, totally. I think that's that and is, it goes both ways, right? Yep. I mean, actually, I was I think this is a good time to like you know lob in something you and I were talking about before, which is. When, and this happens in coaching too, when you and I maybe experienced this in the kind of, we call the beauty contest up front when they're trying to select a coach, yep. but um, it happens in mentoring kind of less formally. And I pick up on it, I've been picking up on it more recently, which is, is someone wanting to work with me because they see something in me? I mean, I'm, I'd be humbled by this that uh, they want to emulate. I mean, that'd be something, they might see something in me they don't want to emulate. That's fine too. But how do I not uh, do that? Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I'm really careful about that because I'm me and you're you. And as a mentor, I think you have a responsibility to connect with that specialness in them because it's kind of like in coaching when they say, well, you just give me the answer. And you and I know it's not going to work to give them the answer. We got to ask some questions and we often have to say, you're closer to this than I am. I want to draw you out. Then I'll yeah. maybe tell you what I think. But um, I think that's an important thing to look out for on both parties' sake. Like, are you looking at this person because you want some, you want their operating code? Yeah. Or are you there because you want them to help you discover your operating code? And I would hope it'd be the latter. Because yeah. you're not me and our work. Like, there's certain things, yeah, the, the forms, how to do the pricing of the business model, yeah, whatever. But you did it and have done it in your own way. Completely. And, and I think that's actually really, and, and I, and I appreciate your, your perception of that, because again, you know, we pretty quickly realize like, you know, even when we're talking about the different assessments we use or our different styles, and it's like, oh, he's doing that. I do it. I just call it something different or that's a tool he uses. And I use this other one. And so I feel like pretty quickly we realize, all right, we don't, I don't need so much of that help. What I need right. is this other stuff, right? And, you know, sort of the business of coaching. And it was so great to just, it just streamlined it really quickly. Yeah. And then through that, we like in every good mentor or coaching relationship, you know, we wind up going tangential and we uncover things and there's deepness and richnesses. Yeah, but the core we identified early, which was the business of coaching, like that, that's kind of where we went. And that's what you seem to really need. And, and, and thankfully both sides, right? We, we committed to that and didn't try to turn it into something that it wasn't. And I think that, you know, your, your description of how, as a mentor, you let the, the mentee sort of show up and arrive and you observe and you, you know, and you, whether you test or you're curious, it's like, they have to be willing to, to sort of drive their own boat. Well, I, I, I'd say jokingly, but not when people reach out to me in these kind of mentoring advice conversations. And I, I do get, you know, people that, they were a client. Now they're going independent or they're leading a company and they just want to, you know, shoot it around a little bit. I said, look, and they said, really, I, at the end of a conversation, I'll say, I really appreciated this. This is really great. I said, Hey, I'm going to send you a bill. And they said, what do you mean? I said, well, the bill is that you just have to tell me how it went yep. and how you're doing. Yep. And I'm surprised how many don't pay the bill. I mean, they're, they're the ones that do are the ones and why the number is small. Again, back to the mentees. I don't, I think they're being, they think they're being presumptuous of using mm -hmm. my time that I really didn't mean that. I really meant it. Yep. <laughs> you know, that's the bill. And the ones that pay the bill, I'll talk to them any, anytime. That's so great. Yeah. And, and, you know, we're going to wind down here in a minute, but, but like I do with all guests, I want to quickly just highlight all the great things that you do, right? So this is not that you need to report on your resume, but for those who, who don't, 
know you before today, right? You do leadership coaching at a variety of levels across industries. You do, you know, big corporate development uh, leadership trainings for large groups. Um, you do mentorship. Uh, are you still part of the restaurant group too? Well, just passively. I mean, that's yeah. a fun investment. That's just putting yep. some skin in the game to see what'll happen. Yep. I don't recommend to your listeners to invest in a restaurant or a bar. And in my case, it's mostly worked out, not entirely, but it's yep. fun. Yep. It's a fun thing. It's more interesting than maybe having a stock symbol uh, in your in your uh, in your portfolio of whatever your investments are, however mm -hmm. you manage your money. But um, yeah, so that's that's one area for sure. Those are a few areas. Um, what I was find when I'm finding through COVID, it's really interesting with all this doing this remote kind of stuff is how to help managers manage people in hybrid environments, what we're calling now. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that's been a, a really a, a successful kind of design of not just management skills, but in the context of you got one person who's in three days, but at home too. Mm -hmm. Another one's four, one, one's in LA, one's in New York, one's in Budapest, you know, and we did have remote teams before, but this is now very different. I mean, they're really with COVID, it's totally different. And there is truly, I think the hybrid word, word is the right thing. So we've done a lot of work in that area. And that's been a lot of fun. And I've been honored to work with the clients like, you know, you are as well, like the people that bring us in. I think a lot of it's because where we are, I mean, this is a hotbed, um, but hopefully we're pretty good at what we do. And so I'm, I'm grateful that the word gets passed along and I am able to do one-on-one -on -one in group work and a variety of different things that will help clients. And while you're based here, you know, I often know you're in Europe, you're in other parts of the world working with clients and, and um, you have some, you know, ties to Baja and uh, Th that's the worldwide headquarters right there. Right. You and I both like the worldwide headquarters, what we do to be Baja for surfing and other things. So I'm waiting for the next offsite. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yes. That board meeting. Um, the uh, uh, I find as I said earlier, um, my wife and I don't have kids. We tried and couldn't. And we decided that we were going to move forward with another fork in life. And I remember we were living not far from you here in Mill Valley. And I've told you this story. And we had a really uh, great neighbor. Um, and uh, his name is Keith. And I remember having coffee with him. And I said, Keith, we're not going to do it. He said, what do you mean? So we're not going to have kids. And um, and he said uh, to me very quickly, he said, you're going to regret this. And he said, but don't react to that the way you normally don't that. I don't mean that the way you think I mean it. I said, what, how do you mean it? He said, well, regret is just an emotion that if you don't process will bite you in the butt later in life. Regret doesn't mean you should have had kids. Regret doesn't mean you should have not had kids. It's just an emotion to process. And that was the sage advice I'd ever gotten. And so we fully committed to the other path. Mm. And so I jokingly say to my friends who have kids, and I've said, I said, you know, you, I think have more joy in your life, but I'm having a little more fun. <laughs> and, uh, and so we travel. So we spend the college fund traveling and my wife's got a bug. So yeah, I'll, I'll relocate at times and be working with clients and I'll be somewhere else in the world. And, uh, we, you know, but that's the other path, you know, if I had a five-year-old, I wouldn't have been doing that trip probably maybe, but less of it. So I think it's all about picking your lot in life and accepting it and not having any regrets and then really committing to that lifestyle, whichever one it is. Right. And that's what we decided to do. And so, yeah, global, I guess in a way, but yeah. Our yeah. hearts here in San Francisco. Well, you guys have done a fantastic job designing a life that uh, I think many would be envious of. And so 
you know, if folks want to connect with you, uh, either personally talk business with you, how do they find Michael Gaines? Yeah. I mean, you can search, uh, Gaines consulting, uh, G A I N E S and, uh, gainsconsult.com is where we're at. And then I'm on LinkedIn and all the, I'm not a huge social media guy. I don't have a big Instagram presence. I'm, I'm probably showing my age uh, with that lack of uh, togetherness on the outreach, but I'm there, I'm here and uh, I'm responsive. So uh, I just, great opportunity to be with you, Aaron. I really appreciate it, man. Well, look, all the best. Thank you for showing up today. Thanks for showing up in my life and all the other ways that, that you have and uh, enjoy the rest of your day with the lovely missus and your sister. Great. Thank you so much. Aaron. Take it easy. Thanks. The Trailbreaker podcast is created by Aaron Feinberg with production support provided by Michael Morey. More interviews and videos can be found at aaronfeinberg.com.